Legends of Wasteland City is a post-apocalyptic anthology series and may contain references to drugs, sex, and violence, along with the occasional vulgarity. You've been warned. The Ones Who Came Before, Chapter 8.1 Wasteland Communication Corporation, bringing you the news and the tunes across the dunes. And in weather, it was hot again today, and tomorrow, you guessed it, it's going to be hot as hell as well. We did see a dust storm kicking up in the north, but it's been dead still along the road. And now, listeners, it's time for this week's Story of Survival. Brought to you, as always, by us here at the Wasteland Communication Corporation and Duke's Nukes. If you have radar problems where you are, you can protect yourself. All it takes is a clean gun and a handful of fresh bullets to stop them in their tracks. Duke's Nukes. Self-defense is booming. And on that note, I'll have you know, the Dead Raider Jerky Company will be paying handsomely for your kills. Bring your fresh radar carcass down to Dead Raider Jerky Outpost in Town for your fine bounty. Dead Raider Jerky. Fuck it. Let's eat the bastards. Well, Wastelanders, Outlanders, Scavs, and Survivors of the Road, I've had a very lucky chance to meet a young lady by the name of Zinn, who escaped the vicious bloodbags who held up at the old Ludlow exit off of Old Needles Freeway for a time now. If you happen to be traveling along that stretch of road, I would suggest maybe steering clear of that exit for a while now. Those bloodbacks have been known to shoot passers-by on sight. They're a bloodthirsty bunch led by a man who goes by the name of Zealot. Seems a little self-righteous if you ask me, don't you, listeners? Not much is known about him, though, but we do know that he'll stop at nothing to get whatever the hell he wants. And now that's where our story starts, my friends. You see, Zealot and his band of raiders have been posing as regular outlanders in order to scout out other camps before completely wiping them out. They'll go in looking for a trade or even asking for handouts, but they're really checking out your defenses, scouting your numbers, and seeing what else you have that they might want. Some of you may have heard of that little cattle ranch east of Bosstown that got hit a couple weeks back. Well, it turns out, it was those bloodbacks. A few of them showed up on numerous occasions posing as regular survivors, but they returned with a whole bloodback army, fully armed and with bullets flying. They didn't make demands. 
They didn't even give him time to run, but instead gunned every last rancher down where they stood. That is, except one. You see, Zinn was alone working in the field at the time when the bullets started flying. And it was just by chance that one of the bloodbacks, one of the imposter bloodbacks, who was first to find her in the fields, he went by the name of Jonesy, and he had fallen madly in love with the beautiful Zinn while he and a few others were scouting the camp. That's right, he, along with a few other bloodbacks, would visit Zinn's camp and trade for the meat, cheese, and cattle hides they provide. And of course, Zen would be there to meet them, since she was often the one working the little storefront. And while Jonesy was watching her, and maybe, just maybe, she was watching him too. Zen had no idea that he was helping to plan the destruction, the desolation of her entire camp. Zinn was tending to the cattle when she heard the first gunshots and turned to see hundreds of bloodbacks attacking her camp. They had knives, clubs, guns, sharp sticks, and hell, they even had a machine gun mounted in the back of a truck. She knew that her tribe was unarmed except for a couple small handheld weapons, and so she started running as fast as she could back to that camp. But she was cut off by a dirt bike ridden by Jonesy, you know, the one who loved her so. He pointed his gun right at her, stopping Zinn dead in her tracks, before revealing himself from behind his mask. He told her to lie down and wait for them to leave. She was scared. So, so scared. So she did. She lied down right there in the high grass on a pile of cow flop. Jonesy turned his gun to the ground near her and fired a shot, just in case, you know, any of his own were watching. So it looked like he had shot her dead. And then he rode off, leaving her there until it was all over. Now, by the time Zen got back to her camp, the bloodbacks had murdered her entire tribe, including her family, and had run off with most of their cattle. The ones they didn't take, they shot them dead. They had cleared out the entire store and had taken the clothes off the dead ranchers. The buildings that there were, were burnt to the ground. She spent a day doing nothing but mourning for her family, and another three whole days just burying her dead. But during that time, her need for revenge grew deep down inside her, and she knew that she wouldn't rest until Zealot's body lay cold dead on the ground. So she left her camp with nothing but the clothes on her back and the rusty blade her father had given her so long ago. She snuck up on the Bloodbacks camp in Ludlow, where they were living in the old restaurants, gas stations, and the old motel. She stayed hidden for three days, watching them, learning their moves, and was able to find where Zealot slept. She knew that going in at night would be her only chance, and on the third day, when she had run out of supplies, she saw Zealot on his own for the first time, and she knew she would never get another chance. Zen made her way down to that old motel, following Zealot in through the side door. She pulled out her knife and she made her move. But she wasn't fast enough. Zealot heard her coming and caught her hand right before she stabbed him with the old rusty blade. He must have knocked her out, because the next thing she knew, she was tied to a chair in an old broom closet. They kept her there for days with no food and no water. She thought she was going to die. 
But the bloodback who loved her snuck in. He gave her water to drink and a bag of food and tried to release her. They'd run together. Now Zen was rightfully pissed off at Jonesy for what he had did. But she wasn't going to argue with the one trying to set her free. She planned to kill him the first chance she got, but only after they escaped this raider's camp. But it wasn't in the stars. See, they were both caught by the Bloodbacks elite guards, known as the Bulwarks. They're zealous commanders, and the only way to make it to that rank is by being the most ruthless and completely loyal to zealot as you can be. Zim was taken to the old radio room, which turned out to be the catalyst to her survival. But we'll get back to that in a second. Because for the moment, it looked like Jonesy might have talked himself out of any trouble. You see, as Zim was carried away by a couple bulwarks, she heard Jonesy saying that he had saw her escaping and was only chasing her to bring her back. But his story, even though it worked for the time, wouldn't pan out. Zilla didn't believe him. He beat Zen inside that radio room to find out how she escaped, though it didn't take more than a couple strikes. She wanted him dead anyway. There's no mercy for Raider scum. She looked Zealot dead in the eye and told him that one of his men had freed her. Zealot stormed out, leaving her in that hot coffin of a cinder block room. And once again, she was left alone, preparing herself to die there. Until, by chance, a young member of the Dukes of the Nuke, from right here in this camp that surrounds the Wasteland radio station, happened upon the Bloodbacks camp looking for a vacuum tube. That's right, many of you listeners may have noticed that we were off the air for a time. And well, it's because our amplifiers work off a series of vacuum tubes. With one broken, we can't broadcast. Well, against better judgment, that young Duke headed out into the desert to the only other radio tower he knew to find a replacement. He snuck into the Bloodbacks camp in the early morning when most of them were asleep and made his way to the radio room where Zen was being held prisoner. Well, with a little effort, he was able to break the lock and the two of them hightailed it back here to the Duke's camp, but not without a handful of Bloodbacks on their tail. They ran across the desert with four of them close behind. Of course, the Dukes made quick work of the Raider scum, and Zen is now safe and sound here with us. Zen still wants to make good on the promise to herself, so Zealot, if you're listening, you should probably get out of the desert while you still can. Because this girl has fire in her eyes, and now she's got us on her side as well. Well, that's it for this week's story of survival. So to all you wastelanders out there, thanks for tuning in. I'm Casper, and you're listening to Wasteland Radio, last of the FM broadcasters. Now here's another hour of music that you've heard many times before. Ow! The Ones Who Came Before was written and directed by me, Mike Makeshift Darling. Casper was played by Ryan Lowe's. 
You can help support the Legends of Wasteland City and the Apocalypse Post by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash theapocalypsepost. Stick around after the break for more info about today's episode. Hey, Survivors, if you want to help support The Apocalypse Post and get some rad merch in exchange, head over to theapocalypsepost.square.site, where you can pick up some patches, postcards, or our newest edition, a set of guitar picks. Or get yourself a limited edition Apocabob pin. This little man is showing the world that all it takes to survive the end times is a gas mask and a dream of, well, just staying alive. Hey Survivors, thanks for tuning in to this bonus episode of The Ones Who Came Before. As you can hear, uh, I'm a little sick this week, so I don't know what to say about that other than I'm glad it's now and not closer to the event because I got a lot of prep to do. And of course, the event is Wasteland Weekend coming up in less than a month. Oh my gosh, it's coming up so fast. So yeah, a little bit behind what's going on in this story. I really liked what Ryan was doing with Casper, and since in episode 7... We learned that Wasteland Radio broadcasts stories of survival and that Casper was going to interview Zinn so that he could add her story to the broadcast. And Ryan still had the recording kit I sent him. I figured I'd write up the story the way that he, Casper, heard it from Zinn. It's a bit of a recap of the first six chapters, but we learn a few more things about Zinn's capture and her escape, like how Jonesy had a little crush on her and maybe she had a little crush back. I think that makes his betrayal all the more soul-crushing. But when you're a member of the Bloodbacks, it's not wise to disobey Zealot. So what'd you guys think of this little taste of what Wasteland Radio is broadcasting on a regular basis? With these last episodes, I've been mixing in a bit more of the non-cinematic music that would be playing in the camp, always trying to give a little bit of that Fallout feel. There's just something about this vintage-sounding music that gives just the right feeling to a world long forgotten. Now, Wasteland Radio is, of course, a real thing that happens at Wasteland Weekend and has been around since the beginning. Originally, it was just an MP3 player and a pocket-sized FM broadcaster that attendees could tune into. And of course, it was just a mix of post-apocalyptic-sounding music. But over the years, the WCC has turned it into a full-on radio station with a ginormous tower, radio control room, and recording studio. And by the way, the entire thing, inside and out, is in theme. And they play post-apocalyptic sounding rock for most of the day, along with original commercials created by the Wasteland community. They do fallout music mornings and interviews with the bands on the days of their performances and of course, way, way more. It's really cool to tune into 88.3 FM on your way into the festival and have the station kick in for the last mile or so of the journey to get you in the right mood. Now the music in the actual Dukes of the Nuke camp tends to be a little bit more like 70s and 80s rock since Warchief Grimm is a huge Motorhead fan. But that really amped up after 2017 when the Dukes and the WCC started camping separate again. Not because anything went wrong, we just both turned into absolutely huge camps and we both needed more space. And speaking of the Dukes, I forgot to mention in the last episode that one of our newest members who goes by Valhalla, who you may remember from the Fire Ants incident, has made some Dukes of the Nukes keychains to add to our on-site merch store this year. And there's a bit of a game attached to them, a key game. You see, every keychain that we sell will have a key attached to it. And later on Saturday evening, whoever buys a keychain can bring it back to the Dukes of the Nuke camp and try to open what's turning out to be a pretty awesome prize chest full of Dukes of the Nuke and Apocalypse Post swag, as well as many other gifts donated from other tribes. And like all the merch we're offering, there'll be in limited supply 
and it'll be cash only. Well, to be fair, we, we can attempt to do like PayPal or Venmo on site, but as most attendees know, the uh, signal's not bad. It's the bandwidth that gets really filled up out there. So you can have a good signal, but not get any data back and forth. So yeah, we'll be able to take Venmo or PayPal potentially, uh, but I definitely recommend if you're gonna do any shopping at any of the vendors that you bring old world money or good old US cash. Uh, and just as a reminder, if you are attending Wasteland Weekend 2022, we're bringing back the Dukes of the Nuke stage and hosting a handful of events that you won't want to miss. On Wednesday and Friday at 5.45, I, Makeshift, will be playing some original post-apocalypse tunes to open the stage for the Dukes of the Nuke open mic USO show. Signups also start at 5.45 and the USO show starts at 6 p.m. We're looking for anyone with a talent to show off, whether it's original music, dance numbers, comedy, poetry, storytelling, or anything else you can come up with, but it must be post-apocalypse themed. We'll have two mics on the stage plus instrument hookups, and if you need a backing track, bring it on a phone, MP3 player, or a Walkman, anything with an eighth inch headphone jack to hook up to. On Thursday, we're hosting the Waste's first Raiders round. Four post-apocalyptic music smiths will compete in an audio battle to the death to see who is top Raider. And it's not too late to enter. Just send a scratch recording of at least one post-apocalypse song to theapocpost at gmail.com, and a few Duke's officers will decide who's competing. Lastly, fellow Duke Wolf will be hosting a putt-putt tournament called Golf to the Death on Thursday, starting at 5 p.m. Get all the details for all these things at Wasteland once you get there. Uh, and of course, lastly, Mongo will be doing some live blacksmithing on Friday and Saturday in the Duke's camp. All right, I'm keeping it short, so that's it, survivors. We're in the crunch time for Wasteland, and I'm going to try my damnedest to get this story wrapped up before the event. So, make sure that you're subscribed wherever you're listening, and if you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend. But if you hated it, share it with your enemies, along with some Dead Raider jerky, so they can taste the feet. Get it? The feet. See you next time, survivors. Stay alive. End days in-